0: Back to our monthly podcast. My name is Shasta Miller, and I'm with the Missouri Children's Division. Here with me is Jessica Hugstep. She's a supervisor with the Children's Division, and it's my honor to introduce our special guest, Stephanie Reese. She is a foster parent with the Children's Division here in Missouri. Stephanie, welcome. We're so happy that you're here, um, and she is joining us by phone. Um, Stephanie, so would you mind to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, yes. Thank you for having me, and I guess to throw out the labels, I am a foster, adoptive, and biological mom. I am a single parent, and um, I live in the 37th Circuit. That's great,
0: and a single parent. Um, bless your yes. heart. Um, well, first, before we really get into the the good stuff, just thank you for your service. Um, we're honored to have this opportunity to talk to you. Um, So, Stephanie, let's just jump right in. Um, Can you tell us how long have you been fostering for the Missouri Children's Division, and kind of how did you learn about fostering?
1: So, um, I have been fostering for a little over two years now, and um, I've kind of always known about fostering, and um, at my church, there's a lot of people that do foster care, but um, prior to that, I had been trying to pursue foster care um, prior to COVID. And then, um, once COVID hit, everything stopped and, um, I had some blocks with that, but then, um, was able to get licensed and, um, it's, it's been good. So Stephanie, you had said
0: that, um, you kind of learned about fostering through some of your friends at church. Um, mm-hmm. and you said several of them foster. Um, so were they able to share any success stories with you that really encouraged you To foster and if so what were those?
1: Yes so quite of them foster and um, so I've seen like that journey through like the licensing process and the fostering process and a few of them um, adopted through foster care as well and uh, we also have a support group at our church that is for foster parents so that is huge. That's a wealth of knowledge. And so, because it is a lot to, um, contact the, like, to, to begin the process and what that looks like and how you have to be very open and vulnerable because you pretty much give your life to, um, like the questions and just, it's very invasive for me as a private person. And so, um, just to have that encouragement of like, Hey, you know, this is just do your licensing process so you can be a foster parent but it's it's not it's not that invasive and so um that really helped to whenever i was like oh i don't know you know um, i it was really nice to have that encouragement and then um like their stories just obviously you can't say a whole lot because it is um HIPAA and confidentiality, but um, just to kind of see the journey um, hands-on, it is encouraging. And also, I have always wanted to do, like, fostering or adoptive, like, my whole life, even since I was a teenager, and I've always been like, well, if there's a kiddo that needs a place to stay, then, or needs somebody to love them, then I will take them, I will love them, and I will have a couch for them to stay at. But in order for me to do that, I have to be licensed and show, like, hey, I'm a safe home. And so, Children's Division knows, like, here's a safe home. Um, She's welcoming a child. So, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie about that. It's a lot of work to get through the licensing process to be licensed to foster. And then it chills out. Um, You do have to do, like, your... um, To keep your certification your licensing you have to do um, classes and training and stuff but that's really i like those because i learn more about what i'm doing for just even my personal life or um, fostering as the kiddos that are in my home
0: that's great stephanie so you said you're you're fostering in the 37th circuit is that right
1: yes okay
0: so the 37th circuit is counties how county Ozark county
1: No, I think it's Hal, Morgan, Shannon and Carter. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You're right. That's correct. I don't work with that circuit too much. So, um, so Stephanie, you said, you said all your life you've been wanting to foster. Was there a Mm -hmm. triggering moment growing up where you realized this is, this is what I need to do?
1: No, I've just, I've just always, I don't know, as a little girl I wanted to be a pediatric nurse and I loved baby dolls and loved babies and just I've always loved kids and um I just as a Christian I'm called to um watch and to help widows and orphans and I just feel like um I try to have the motto of I say what I mean and mean what I say and so if I don't do it, who will? So I just have taken this step to be licensed to be able to help my community because these kids are not going to be kids always they're going to grow up and be my age and I want to help I can't I can't help everybody but if I can make a difference in one child's life then that's one less that's going to repeat the cycle I would just want to see more cycles be broken and more families that are broken to be repaired and more success in reunification and success in just breaking the cycle and being a part of a positive change in my community, because I see a lot of hurt in my community and um, we can all sit back and watch and be like, well, somebody else is going to do that. But if we all think like that, then nothing gets, gets done. So I feel like as a person, a citizen in the United States, that big broad spectrum too, in my community, I have to do my part to help my community. And for me, that's fostering.
2: Thank you so much, Stephanie. This is Jessica Huckstep. So you were describing how uh, making a difference in a child's life. Can you tell us a time or story where you realize you're making a difference for a child that you've had or have in your home?
1: Um, I would say like when you do like I've I've done different things like respite, emergency placement, fostering, and um, so I see all kinds. I would say when um, you're in that crisis mode of like the emergency placement time to see the chaos that. It's like, wow, okay, here's a stranger. And we're all taught that strangers are bad, but you're going to come to live with me in a strange home. And that's, that's chaos for a kid. And so to see that wall be brought down to where um, they start trusting me, that's a biggie. And like, I have had um, like a child that just didn't, feel safe and wanted to run and um, not have any way of understanding their emotions of, you know. So I was able to say, it's okay to have these emotions. It's okay to be mad and sad and want to be frustrated, but we have to know how to do that in a positive way. And so I would teach them like techniques, like breathing techniques. And so I think a big deal for me in this This specific story is the child come up to me and was like, knew the feeling was a bad feeling of frustrated and being sad and mad, but I'm going to deal with it in a positive way. And they asked me to do the breathing technique. I was like, yes, because that at the beginning was not even on the plate of options. We weren't even seeing that or even thinking that way. So to see the process kind of change where it's like, okay, I know that I have these feelings, but I'm going to start dealing with them in a positive way. That's when I'm like, yes, I'm getting through. I'm making a difference. We're learning. We're getting somewhere. And to just see that improvement and where that has evolved to today a big deal. That is a big deal. So I'm really proud of that child for that accomplishment because that is a big deal.
2: Right, Stephanie. This is Jessica Hudstep again. It, it It is such a big deal, and I appreciate you sharing that success story. Um, in, in your um, journey as a foster parent, you had said how it's exciting to see when the children are reunited. Ha- has there been a time that you've worked well with a biological parent, and if so, can you speak on that?
1: Unfortunately, for who I have had um, placements, I have not seen, I've not been a part of a successful reunification. I have seen other families that have had successful reunifications. But in this process, you do um, have encounters with the biological family. And for the goal always is going to be reunification. And so for me, I'm a part of this child's story. I'm a part of this family's story. And so what I like to do is what they taught in um, our foster care classes is to do a journal to the biological families. And um, that is is a positive for me, for one story that I am thinking of. Because um, even though it didn't go the reunification route like I thought it would, um, it was still being able to build that rapport and that trust with this family that's in a very chaotic, scary place and give them the reassurance like, yes, my child is safe. This woman loves me. And like, I just would give her encouraging words. And we would write back and forth and that was so good. And I will always have that, you know, that that's a part of that child's story. And that child will always have that, that journal. And I also see that if I have a child that does have reunification, then they see the support that I have given to the child and to the biological family. And um, I can always be a part of their story because, um, then if there is a bad day or you know it's yeah i say you get into foster care for your heart to be broken but it's if i didn't if my heart wasn't broken then i feel like i wasn't doing something right because i do love these kids and um i want these these families to be successful and if things are getting hairy then i want to have that relationship where the biological families can call me and I can be there to help them through a situation that maybe before all of this had happened and the rapport had happened, maybe there would have been abuse or neglect. But they can call me. I don't I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. you know. <clears throat>
0: yeah, that makes sense. This is Shasta. I just have to say uh, you have us just wowed by what you just said there. We're were, uh, what you said is very emotional and raw. And um, I, we just commend you for that. Um, so Stephanie, what advice would you give? You said a lot of really great things, um, but what advice would you give a future foster parent when working with like a biological parent, any advice you could give them?
1: Love them. You have to love them because if the child goes back, You want to be a part of that child's life. You don't want to be another adult to disappoint. And you also want to give that support because we may be dealing with generational abuse, neglect. Um, I've had parents that have aged out in the system and then their child is in the system. And to break that cycle, you have to invest in these families and um, show them love and show them how to be a mom. Because they probably haven't had a mom to show them. So if you can show them that you believe in them and give them respect, yeah, they've, they've not done something right or they wouldn't be in this situation. But you just have to not go that way. And you just have to take them as they are in front of you that day and just love them and show them that respect. And it just – it's a positive and I I can – I mean, I'm sure not all situations are like that. But for me, with the placements that I have had, it is so rewarding to the biological family to see that respect and no judgment. Just don't judge and just love them. I think that's fantastic advice,
0: Stephanie. Uh, No judgment and just love them. I think that's more people in the world need to have that vision. And um, I just appreciate you saying that. Um, So, Stephanie... have have people inquired with you about what it's like to foster? And if so, what advice have you given them in that route? Do you tell them to jump in and do it? Um, watch out for this. So just kind of go into what advice you would give a future foster parent.
1: So I think probably the top thing that's said to me is, I don't see how you can do it. I would just get too attached and love them too much. And first of all, I'm no different than anyone else. I... um do get attached and I do love them because that's what they need. And they have to have that support and that love to know what love is and what support is. And so if someone is coming to me and asking me, then first of all, I tell them, well, you know, just talk about it. If they're married, then it has to be, you know, both of them have to be on board with this. And, um, I just, I just welcome questions to people that come up to me inquiring more information and, um, definitely direct them to a licensing worker so they can get signed up for classes and just be a resource for them to like, if you need me to help call or send an email or guide you in the process or just be a support to them, then I welcome my support all the way.
2: Thank you so much, Stephanie. I, I appreciate what you've been sharing with us. I really do. Um, I'm just wondering what makes you continue to be a, a foster home and continue on that journey?
1: Um, well, like I said, I do fostering because if I don't, who will? So if I quit, then that is one less good home. I'm, I'm a good home and I'm a good person and I know I'm safe. And if a child needs a home, then I would rather them be with me than maybe another home that's not good or has ill intentions or something. So, yeah, I I, I did take a little bit of a break. And that's what's good about fostering is because you have to have self-care. And um, and that's not being selfish. That's so I can be the best of myself I can be to give to my children or children that's coming into care that's in my home. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like I have to do this right now. I just feel like I have to do this and we need more homes. And if I live by my motto, I say what I mean. I mean, what I say, then I have to be the hands and feet of this and I have to do my part. I love that. Um, Stephanie, so
0: in the Missouri Children's Division, um, what advice would you give our agency on how do we get more homes, just like you? Because it, it sounds like you're a fantastic home. So how do
1: we do that? I'll be real honest. Communication is key. Um, I think that, to when you have a home that is licensed, um, gosh, i I thrive on communication and I just feel like all aspects of life thrive on communication. And um, we have to um, let our foster homes that are licensed now um, know that you guys care about us and you listen to us and you communicate with us Um, because we're doing, we're doing the dirty work. We, we have the child 24 seven and it, and sometimes it's not easy. And it, it's stressful and it's hard sometimes, but to know that we have open communication with you guys and support and encouragement, that goes a long way. To find more good homes like me, as a Christian, like I said previously, um, we are called to help orphans and widows. And there's a lot in the Bible that Jesus loves children. And I think that, you know, there's like the statistic of if every church was to have one home, then there would be no children in the need of a home because we would have plenty. So obviously the churches are doing their part, sadly. But I feel like if you could go recruit more in um, churches and events that would gain um, attention of the church, I feel like that is where the key is. That's really great, and making more people aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's really
0: great advice, Stephanie. I think, uh, um, and just for your awareness, we really are trying to do better. We're always trying to do better. Um, but what I heard you say was communication, appreciation, supporting you as a foster parent yeah. and then hitting those churches that, cause you're called to do that. Right. I think that's yeah. really great. Um, I tell you what, uh, you've just been a pleasure, a pleasure to talk to Stephanie. And again, we truly appreciate all the service you provide to our our foster kiddos. And just thank you for your journey and continuing to do this hard work. Um, I hope that this show uh, reaches many individuals who hopefully someday will have the passion that you have and the heart to do this this. This service. Um, I think we're, unless you have anything else to add, um, I think we're pretty good to wrap up um, unless you have anything else, a story you want to share or even more success stories, anything.
1: No, um, I can tell stories all day long, but thank you so much for having me. And I just hope that um, it just gets out more awareness and like just me, I'm a single person And I can do it and I work full time. So um, don't let that be your excuse or discourage you. And um, I also think to be successful in fostering, you have to have a support system like, you know, obviously the communication with state, but um, the support system of me just as a single parent. it, I have this support of my church and family and friends and just to have that support. And also like I follow people on Instagram um, that's like fostering. And just to have that encouragement is good. You, you just can't do it alone. We're not made to live life by ourselves anyway. So having that support is you, you need that. Thank you, Stephanie. I feel
0: like we need to get together and we need to take you on the road and we need to start recruiting. Like, yesterday. Okay, sounds good. I'm um, for it. <laughs> you've been a pleasure to talk to. And again, Thanks. just thank you for your time and all that you've shared with us today. And, uh, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Wow. You know, I feel really blessed that we were able to talk to Stephanie today on our podcast. Um, what an amazing interview, um, I meant what I said when I said I want to take her on the road and have her help with recruitment because she hit on so many milestones. Um, it just really uh, empowered me to continue to interview foster families and to continue to do this podcast. Jessica, what do you think about Stephanie's interview? Anything that
2: um, spoke to you? I really feel like she hit on our title of our podcast, The Call to Foster, because she said. She's called to do this. She's called to be a foster parent, to be that person in her community, to try and be positive because she said, if she's not doing it, who will? Mm -hmm. So I really feel like that hit right towards the heart of what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And I think she is an example of, um, as an individual who cares about her community, as an individual who cares about kids, who, um, she is from a religious um, background, um, i think she's a good example of taking ownership of how she can help the community and i think that, um there's probably a lot of people out there just like her
2: right
0: that i think that she could be an advocate and in support too to help even get started um i loved how she talked about you know we don't our agency doesn't get a whole lot of kudos but i love how she talked about the training was so helpful and she learned stuff not only to work with foster kiddos, but her own life, her biological kids. Um, I thought as someone, as us working for the agency, yeah.
2: that was really nice to hear. Um, it definitely was, especially when she talked about when she worked working with bio parents, how she learned in training to do a journal for the kiddos that she has placed in her home. Because that, that that's a timeline of that child's life while they're in your home Mm -hmm. and then you can share that with the bio parents and if the goal happens of reunification then the foster parent can give that journal right to the bio parents or if the goal goes to guardianship and or adoption you can still give that journal to whomever is going to be that lifelong um, person for the children
0: yes very practical advice very something that foster parents can do right now that journal piece that was I thought that was really good um something I absolutely love that gave me goosebumps was when we asked the question about um you know what advice would you have with working with biological parents and I quote her just love them and to not have judgment and that not only as a foster parent but I think for anyone that's good advice is to
2: open your arms be open-minded just love them and take them where, take what she say, take, take them as they are right in that moment. Yeah. I believe that's she, exactly she, what she said. Yeah. Um, I thought, cause we're
0: always talking about how, um, you know, our fault, we, we wish and our yeah. hope as an agency that we train and coach our foster parents to be those supports and the advocates, not just yeah. for the child, but for the family. And, that uh, she just, I mean, she was in my head, but she said it so much better. Um, just love them. And that's so
2: simple. And um, I think really good advice. It really is. Because what's that? If your support for the now and if the children go home or reunited and or guardianship or adoption, whichever way it goes, you hope that that foster parent or that placement can be still be a lifelong connection for that child or children. So like, Um, She said, like Stephanie Ruth said, so you're not another disappointment for that child that's leaving their life. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the main points we do say in training a lot is working with the bio parents and or whoever the parent's going to be and hope that they keep you in that child's life. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that uh, she also did a good job of representing, um, you know, when a child comes into care and gets placed with a, with a foster home, a new one, she talks about, um, that it's chaos and it is chaos. It's (laughs) truly chaos. And, uh, she recognizes that as a foster parent recognizes that, um, you know, it is going to be confusing and the child is going to be emotional. I mean, it's traumatic and, to then just work with them on their emotions and uh, allowing them to feel safe in expressing their emotions and tearing down that wall. And she says, trust. And, uh, I think it was, um, just really good insight to having a really true representation of what it's like when a child enters and gets placed in a foster home where they are strangers and, um, and what it takes from the other side of it, as far as being a foster parent, what they have to do and, and recognize. And I think it was uh, just really, really good stuff.
2: Yeah, the main thing is patience, you know, um, besides the kids and the foster parents are, are strangers, you know, The having patience and like you said, being open um, and taking in whatever those emotions look like from those ch- children, because they could all look differently, right? You know, maybe raising boys or, I don't know, running away or what have you. It just, it all looks different. But I love that she said one of, like, she loved watching the process of the children change Mm -hmm. in her home um, and being able to eventually process their emotions. And she actually said using breathing techniques, I think. I think she did say that.
0: And that really, that really reminded me that our foster parents aren't, aren't just making sure a child has a safe place, right? right? They right are, yeah. their teachers, their coaches, their mentors, they're, they're a parent, they're, right. there's so many other things. They're, they're informal therapists. Um, there's so many things and, that they're providing to our kiddos. Um, and her just recognizing that yeah. and having a good concept was really, really good to hear, um. Self-care. Oh, How many, I know Jessica and I work for the agency. We, we're we always telling our foster families, you have to take care of yourself. If you're not okay, how can you be the best caregiver? And she really hit on self-care. And I think out of the interviews we've done so far, she's probably the first one that's hit on self-care. I and think so. And the importance of, as a foster parent, how important it is to take care of yourself and, and have those supports around you and having yeah. a good... Um, community that's going to help you do right. the best work, which right. is, you know, taking care of our kiddos. Um, I love that she mentioned that because I know we do well, you know, on the inside, um, but I just think she would be a great advocate,
2: a great mentor um, for others. Um, uh, really good stuff. And I, I do too. And she said she has to take care of herself so she can be the best she can be, her best version of herself. And some of those ways that you can be like she talked about the support system she said church her church family her regular family or friends but also with respite we have respite homes or people that's licensed for respite and that means that a home that's licensed for respite they can take a child uh, like for a 24-hour time period and then there's so many time periods that each child gets a year from the state, but this is a way that they kind of provide a relief a relief and or support. So like if the child needs a break from the home, whatever, whatever's going on, right. And this would benefit the child, you know, to have respite, you know, then they're also, you know, they go to a home that's licensed for respite. They stay there. I don't know. 24, 48 hours, maybe a couple days. I don't know what, whatever that looks like. But then that child's also connected to that family. That's right. So then that family hopefully will continue to provide respite slash support to that regular foster home. So people out there that's listening, if you don't think you can commit right now to be a regular foster parent, we also have those respite homes that just take, Kids in, helps out a foster parent um, from time to time when it's needed for maybe 24 hours or maybe two days, just depending on what those needs are. You can also do that.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to get, um, to kind of dip your toe into uh, what it's like to be a foster parent. Um, I think it's an excellent way to kind of get a snapshot of what it would be like if you wanted to do it long term. Right, Um, I know we have a lot of families who they start off with respite yes, and then they eventually move into the the more, yeah, the regular um, traditional
2: foster homes. And I think that's, I think that's a great way. It is. And also, we also have homes that's only licensed as an emergency foster home. And that means 30 days or less. So, and you can't say, oh, the child will just be there for a week. We're not sure, but it's supposed to be 30 days or less. So if you only wanted to be licensed as an emergency foster home then you can also do that Mm -hmm. like if you wanted more of a Mm short-term placement so i just wanted to kind of explain that as well but um the support system that is provided not only with respite homes but just with children's division in general because you also have the caseworker you have the whole team that's involved with the child and also with the foster home that can help you out
0: yeah um you know, when we asked the question about, um, you know, advice for the agency, we heard, she said communication Yes, and we are, we're always striving to communicate and encouraging communication and really not just communicating with our foster families, but the community. And, um, that is something we're always looking internally about and always something to improve. But I, I'm just, I'm glad that she highlighted it because, um, you know that's that's another point of these interviews, right? Is to really talk through um, and hear from those who are doing the work um, and being transparent about about what it's like to foster. So um, I appreciated her comment on us needing to improve communication.
2: I did too, um, because I mean no one's perfect, right? Um, we can always have a goal and strive to be better than we were yesterday. So and that's all we can do. And that also kind of goes with, um, kind of, <laughs> with the comment she had made in uh, about breaking the cycle, yeah. like foster homes and children's division, we're all part of that, mm-hmm. trying to break the cycle of child abuse and neglect, which is generational, can be generational. Yeah. I, I can't say that's a always, because it's not. We do have those parents out there that say, you know, I was abused and neglect as a child. You know, they can whatever reason, right? If it's their self determination and or a lot of them tell me or have told me it's because of who has supported them. Yeah. So going back to that support system piece, who they have rallied around them, that can help them get out of that and hopefully not revert back to what was done to them. Yeah. And I think
0: Stephanie, when she was talking about that, it was when she was talking about how we treat the biological family which is just love them and then she goes into um that generational um because you don't know what they've experienced right. and where they're at in the moment yeah. and that comes in with not judging them and just yes. wrapping their arm wrapping your arms around them and loving them and that could be a forever relationship it could be, and yes. i know that we always hope that when foster families sign up to do this service we always hope that again it's fostering the family right? Not just caring for the child, but really role modeling and coaching for the entire family dynamic. And for why, why for the betterment of the child, right? Um, she's, uh, I, I would say the one thing I really want to hit on is she, she calls attention to, you know, she's a single parent works full time and don't let that be an excuse. So how often Jessica do we hear I'm a single parent, I don't know if I can do that. Um, I mean I'm thinking of two individuals right now in my head that have shared that with me and I love that she just calls it out says you yep. can do it with the yep. right support system. people rallied around you um, if she can do it anyone can and that's true
2: mm-hmm. um, and we do have a lot of single parent foster homes we do because of that support the support system and also just the way they structure. Their schedules and life and household and things like that—you do have to be more structured, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're the only one doing it. But that support system is the biggest piece. Stephanie Reese can do it as a single parent that works full time because of the support and because of how she structures her life and her home.
0: Yeah. um, I think that that for us internally, that would yeah. be really good, uh, data to, to figure out on, definitely. on, on the inside is how many single parents do we have yeah. and, um, and pull them in and right. have a conversation with them. And, um, so let's make a mental note of, yeah, maybe into that. um, anything else, Jessica? I just, I just loved
2: that interview. It's such a great interview and. It really was. And I did love how she said she wanted to do this ever since she was a teenager. Yeah. And she, the only reason she had was because she's called to do this, which goes with her podcast, the call to foster.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I think, um, those of, those of you listening to this and you have it in your, if you're thinking about fostering something that I would love to, to do is connect you to people just like Stephanie to potentially, mentor and coach you through the process and uh and guide you because you're not alone so please 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 if you have it in your heart just make a call you know and and start the journey because it's definitely needed and i think stephanie just highlights that if anyone can do it if it's your calling anyone can do it um so on that note um I do want to thank you for, uh, watching the call the fostering podcast. Um, this is a monthly podcast. And, um, if you're interested in becoming a foster parent, you can always go to our department of social service, um, website on the internet and, or call your local children's division office. And we can at least answer your questions and get you connected. Um, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.